So we're continuing. Uh, we had some technical difficulty, but uh, again, it's um, December 29th, 2019. And this is part B of, of that, which we had to, uh, to stop. But uh, as we are in point F of one, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? So that point F says, even after, Philip, it's time for you to put what you've learned to the test. And that is the case. Philip needed to apply the teaching that he had learned from Jesus, although he didn't follow Jesus's words and trust in him, trust in his words, just like he trusts in the Father's words. And just because something's new does not mean it's wrong. Uh, especially after you, God demonstrated signs, wonders, and miracles. And, you know, when I look at, I think about this, I think about the Christian world today. A lot of them have rejected the mystery. Why? Because it's new. Because it's something different. And, you know, it doesn't, they think, oh, we believe in the whole Bible. We don't just believe in the New Testament. I've heard a lot of people say things like that. But the whole testimony of God is the revelation of God. You can't take certain parts out and put other parts in as though it didn't matter. But what God does want you to do, especially if knowledge is progressive, is to stay up, keep up, keep pace with what has been taught. And I think for the most part, the disciples hadn't done that. So now when we get to something like the mystery which is something God hid. He did not reveal to people in the Old Testament. Uh, it is a new way for uh, the people of God and, and for those, the recipients of grace. It is up to them to realize that this is something unique. And how do we know it's unique? Because God said so? No, he not only said it, but he demonstrated it. You know, we can appeal to the... Uh, like it says in First Corinthians chapter one, Paul said, "Many speakers came to, or actually, First Corinthians chapter two, many spe speakers came with eloquence and all of these features of being able to move crowds with their oratory." But he says, "We don't have that. We have the power of God." God demonstrated that Paul was an apostle through these many signs and wonders. So even if people say, I don't agree with what he's saying. It's the same thing that happened to Jesus. Jesus did those signs and wonders and people still could disagree with his teaching. And that's what was going on here. So my point of here in F is not only that, but it is also to say that works are not only things we do. To religious people, it doesn't matter what's in their heart. As long as they do what the works say they should do, at least in their mind, they're pleasing to God. And they still haven't learned that Old Testament phrase, God does not only look on, God does not look at the outward appearance, but he sees the heart. So there's a couple, Romans, uh, just a couple scriptures here. Let's just read them. We'll move fast. Romans chapter uh, 4 and verses 19 and 20. So it says it this way. Without weakening in his faith, 
he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. So something that God promised Abraham. Abraham not only had to believe it, he had to trust in what God said, even in the face of negative circumstances. So, so faith not only is, well, I did what God said to do. He said, be here, I'm here. He said, go there, I went there. God does not want robots. He wants the heart. He wants your reasoning. He wants your soul. And like it says, you got to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. Everything. It's not just some, okay, I'm, I said I'm with you, so I'm with you. And then I just go about doing my own thing. Abraham not only believed that, he understood that his, he, sexually speaking, he, he couldn't have a child anymore. And uh, naturally speaking, Sarah could not have children anymore. He understood that. But then in verse 21, being fully persuaded, it changed, faith changed Abraham's thinking. And that's what doesn't happen with religious people. They say they believe, yeah, they do the works, but uh, in their heart, they still keep on believing whatever it is they believed. Or they just chalk it up to some miraculous thing that happened that, uh, you know. But here is where what I meant uh, when I said that faith is transformative. It's not just, oh, I believe. It transforms the thinking. So even so, it says that uh, he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Even in the face of those negative circumstances, Abraham still believed and he trusted that that was true and that changed his outlook on life. It changed the way he thought about things. He didn't figure, okay, God, uh, now I'm going to use Eleazar to, to fulfill the promise that you gave me. I'm going to now use Isaac, not Ishmael. I'm going to, all these things that I may have thought in the past, but now the way I'm thinking is I'm giving glory to you, God, because I know what you're saying is true. You said I'm going to have a son even if I don't understand it, it's true. I don't know how you're going to do it, God, because I am i can't have children anymore. Sarah can't have children anymore. I don't understand how you're going to do it, but I, one thing I do know is I know you're going to do it because you said you would. And that's the transforming power of just believing. And that's progressive truth. That goes against everything Abraham would have already thought. And he left Ur, he had to keep on trusting God. He didn't just trust God. If you believe in the Lord, then you will have, you'll be justified. He had that, but he had to keep on believing for God to continue to grow him up and help him realize the calling that was over his life. So that's important for us. Faith is transformative. And then there's James 1, 23 and 24. So... James 1.23 says, 
anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says it's like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like so he's like James is explaining the gap between people believing something and the natural reaction of them doing what that says. Like Abraham believed that he was going to have a son, but he didn't believe, he didn't trust God. He said, okay, God, that means I'm going to have the son the natural way. I'm going to, it's going to be this, it's going to be that. God has to show Abraham. And he does through many experiences. The one, I keep going back to Abraham. Abraham was sure that Ishmael was his son. Abraham loved him and taught him and everything. And then there was this friction that was created in their camp. And Sarah said, that woman's got to go. She cannot stay in this house. She's she's talking about Hagar. And and then, so Abraham saw God. He says, "Um, God, you know I love Ishmael. I don't understand this. There's this friction in the house. I need you to fix it. Help me. And a word came from the Lord. And God said, get that woman out. She should not have the inheritance. She is not the heir. Yeah, you are off the beaten path, Abraham. I told you you're going to have it. And then eventually, when we read those verses about Abraham, it was after all of that. And Abraham finally come to understand the truth. And he did. Thus, we have Israel out of it. Isaac and then Jacob, who became Israel. So this is important for us to know, right? It's not our view of what should be. Don't think about God. If we trust God, he will perform it for us. And that's what's important. And that verse. So point G, I'm moving forward. Yes, Philip knew Jesus. Yes, he did. But he did not understand the concept being taught, right? The concept was that the Father's the one speaking to you. I'm these are not my words as I read in John before, right? These are the words you hear are not mine, right? They're the Father speaking. Right. So Philip did not understand that concept. He All he knew was, yeah, I know you, Jesus. I know what you're saying. But he disregarded the teaching that Jesus uh, taught, especially uh, when it came to anything new that was different or unfamiliar with what they originally held. Like they had, in, in their minds... Truth had to be established uh, from tradition, from longevity. So at some point, somebody's going to be on the point of new truth. That would have been these disciples. They were at the forefront of hearing these truths for the first time. And they had to believe them. They, these are eventually, the. I, just, I don't want to say they had to, but they did believe. And it became part of the foundation of the church. Let's keep going. Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Some points on that. We'll move forward. This is, this is the direct answer 
to Philip, right? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, right? Philip says, show us the Father. Well, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's really direct. And the Father is invisible, right? So there is no physically with your eyeball seeing the Father. There is none of that. That's not happening. So as far as physically seeing the Father, Philip was looking directly at him. So it was almost like Jesus is saying, don't you know me? And Philip's saying, who are you, Lord? And Jesus is saying, Philip, I'm standing right here in front of you. How can you not know me? You've been with me this long. So Jesus was trying to relate through, obviously, there's metaphor here, but there's a foundation of this teaching that goes into what would be the reality for those at Pentecost. So the, the relationship, I call it the dynamic relationship that Jesus had with the Father, would be then uh, now shared for all of those who are in the church age. That started at Pentecost. So it's important for Philip not only to understand that not dynamic relationship, but whenever it's being taught, whenever the teaching of it is being uh, voiced, Philip needed to put faith in those words. Not just Philip, but he's representative of the other disciples as well. I would imagine they had blank looks on their faces, question marks in their head. Show us the Father was on their minds as well. Philip voiced that. I don't see Jesus saying, yeah, uh, it's good that uh, four out of the 12 believe but the others, you know, eight do not. He didn't do that. I would imagine all of them had the same thought. Show us the Father, and then we'll be satisfied. Well, he's saying that you, you say we know him and we have seen him, but that, as far as we're concerned, we need to see him because we don't know him, and we, don't, we only know you. We don't know. See, they didn't understand the concept that was being taught. So, so Jesus answers directly. Right? Show us the Father. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. That's what I meant before when I told you, you have seen him and you know him, Philip. So point B, seeing him or seeing him, the metaphor that needed some explanation is what I say. <laughs> so, um, first, it is not a new teaching. Well, what do I mean by it is not a new teaching? I don't mean that it was taught in the Old Testament. That's what I don't mean. But what I do mean is that, obviously, Jesus had taught this to the disciples prior to this conversation in the upper room. It, it was clear that for Jesus to stress the point, and to really rebuke the disciples for not knowing this point means that he taught it, but they didn't believe it. That's what it means. And this is a test, okay? So now you're saying this, you have seen the Father. What do you mean? They should have thought about it and said, yeah, this is exactly what he taught before when we were over on that hill and he was going through the lesson about this. No, they had nothing. It was almost as if Jesus had said it for the first time. 
what do you mean? What, what do you mean we know him? We don't know the way you're going. How do? How could we know the way? Right? These are, they came up short. We just have to say. And there are going to be times when we come up short as well. It didn't say the disciples shrunk back and from this point forward they didn't follow Jesus anymore. They were mad because Jesus exposed them that they didn't know anything. None of that happened. Because these people that we are seeing on display, we're seeing their weaknesses, we're seeing their strengths, we're seeing everything became, these people became the foundation of the church. So, no, they didn't get it. <laughs> and for us to criticize them or to mock them, oh, how dumb they were, how stupid, I mean, oh my gosh, <laughs> is going to come back to us when we come to grips with who we are in our spiritual growth and how fast we adapt to new truth and all of that. I can tell you, I didn't. I certainly did not adapt. But when I saw it, I was just intrigued by the mystery and this new direction and salvation, what it was. I mean, the whole thing intrigues me to no end. When I said no end, there's so much more to learn. So... Second, this is point B, it is clear that Jesus is not the Father. Jesus is saying, have you seen me, you've seen the Father. So, Oh, so you're the Father? No, that's not what Jesus is saying. Uh, that's clear. I, the Father and Jesus are two persons, two separate and distinct persons. I don't mean distinct meaning they are at odds with each other. I mean distinct meaning they are each person's in their own rights. And we have this right here in, in John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word himself was God. Right? The, 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 I know himself is not in it, but I'm emphasizing what the Greek word, use of the definite article is. So, that emphasis is to say that there were two persons right there from eternity past. Before creation, there were two persons. At least we know there was three, but in this verse, it's calling out two persons that were there from eternity past. So, um, Jesus is not saying he is the Father. And I know there are some theologies that say, oh, that means Jesus and the Father are the same person. It's just one person. It's just different manifestations of that one person. Wrong. That's wrong. Jesus is not the Father. He is emphasizing something else here that he wants us to see. And third, this is all point B, the Father is on display for everyone to see. And when we say everyone anyone. So what's happening in Jesus is on display. The relationship he has with the Father is on display for all to see. Now, it's obvious that people saw it, rejected it, did not understand it. Right? it all those are variables of what could have happened when they saw Jesus. They would have thought, oh, well, what's he teaching? Oh, he's trying to teach some new doctrine. Oh, what's he saying? Well, he's challenging the Pharisees. 
What's he doing? These miracle signs and wonders? My gosh, who could do such things? Nicodemus says, I can't understand anybody doing such truths, such miracles, uh, if God were not with him. So the truth is coming to reality through this person. And yet, when it came to something different than what they believed, they were free to reject it, and they did. So this is what, when Jesus says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So as I said, the first, it's a metaphor, right? It's, it's not a new teaching. He had taught the disciples this before. Second, it's clear Jesus is not the same as the Father. And third, the Father is on display for everyone. And anyone, he says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Because that's what he came to portray. Is the father? Did he? The question: Did he do a good job? Is he the image of the invisible God? Did that? Was he good at that? He was perfect. He is the express image, the exact representation of his person. It was almost like the father had a body in Jesus, in the person of Jesus. Talk about humility, getting out of the way not allowing your opinions to influence what the truth is, uh, always preferring God, his opinions, his thoughts over ours. All of that is most important. Point, uh, that was point C. Well, no, actually, that was, we're going to do point C. What of the Father was on display? So we talked about the Father, right, and being on display for anyone to see. And I'd say certainly not a physical presence, right? So by these point to us, by the way, let's make some introductions. I'm Jesus over here. This is the Father. And over here, this is the Holy Spirit, right? That, that's a physical way of looking at it, right? It's not a physical presence. That when Jesus was talking about you've seen the Father, he's obviously not talking about physically seeing the Father. But what are we saying? the Father's teaching. That's what we're talking about. His plan. Right? If, the, if the Father's here and he shows up in Jesus, he must have something to say. And I like what Jesus says in John 16, which once we get there, all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why. And the Holy Spirit takes from what is mine and he makes it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said that he takes from, you know, it goes like that in John 16. That is to tell us that the Jesus and the Father are one. And they're not one and Jesus is the one in authority telling the Father what is and what is not. It is the Father who's, who has the plan and the direction and the eternal purpose. Jesus submits to. And that's what we have to see, right? It's, it is not just uh, the Father's presence. Like somebody might say, well, what color socks does the Father have? That is a silly question. What color socks did he have? Or what color socks does the Father like to wear? It has nothing to do with that. That's not how we would identify what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is his teaching, 
his plan, and I, which I say is, which for the most part was ignored and not believed at all. And I have a scripture here. Let's look at what it says. It's in Matthew and 21, <clears throat> 33 through 37. This is the, the analogy. 21, 33. This is the parable of the tenants. So verse 33, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. He rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he said, uh, then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, more testimony, right? And the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But the tenants saw the son. They said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. So why do I bring this verse? Is because they rejected the father's teaching, and they persecuted those who came with teaching that was different from their religious tradition. If God wanted to show some progressive uh, truth, they rejected it every time. Every time God came with revelation, they said, "No, it's the previous re revelation that we accept, and we don't accept." And this, and we will understand the previous revelation in whatever way we want. So that this analogy is: so he built the vineyard, right, and then he rented it out. Those people are the hired people; they're not the ones who, but you know, they like the fruit that came from it. They saw the fruit. They saw that it was something to be valued. And eventually, they uh, refused to allow God to receive the credit or to even say that it came from God. Finally, the son came. They said, well, they will definitely respect the son. Obviously, you could see this is Israel. And God talked to Israel many ways, but Israel failed. And he's telling you here why they failed. Or first he's telling you what happened. We are examining the thought of why it happened this way. So let's move forward a little bit. I know we're moving quickly. Point D. What did the Father want the disciples to know through Jesus? Because obviously you weren't seeing the Father who was invisible. So what, what did the Father want the disciples to know? What, what was on his mind, Right? That's the question you should ask. But I say these questions should already suggest the answers in your mind. Right? If I'm asking these questions to you, or if I would have asked them to the disciples, they should have known. But if I ask them to you now, who right, you should know, and I already said that in point B, it's the Father's plan. Right? I'm not asking you to answer any questions you don't already know. 
what what was the point here? What did the father want the disciples to know through Jesus? What color the father likes? What kind of food he likes? Uh, what, all those things are not the point at all. The point that he wanted them to know was the, the plan, the eternal purpose of the father that was given, manifested, revealed through the person of Jesus. Now, those dynamics of how God the Father was able to reveal himself through the person of Jesus is going to be part of our dynamics and our spiritual life. So we need to pay attention. It's not just something that happened to Jesus. Wow, that's interesting. Get ready, because it's going to happen. And it is the reality for us as well. So, um, uh, so... That's point D. Look at point E. Seen the Father. Yes, they have seen him. And the question is, have you seen the Father? I can ask that question because you already know what I'm getting at, right? Have you seen the Father? If I were to tell you right now, you have seen the Father and you know him. Well, Jesus said that. I'm not Jesus. I don't have the authority of Jesus. Yeah, you could say that. Who, do you, who are you to ask or for me to trust in what you're saying? But I'm reading the word. I'm reading about what Jesus challenged them with. So I can ask the question. Have you seen him? You, you already know him. You know what I'm talking about. Right? I'll just leave the question there. You answer it later for yourself, and you could talk to me about it or us. So point three, we're gonna to get to this, we're gonna get through this. It's just not hard, it's just more it's only four or five more thoughts. So the question uh, is strange to Jesus, and he pushes back on Philip. How can you say, show us the Father? It's for Jesus to, to say this, to question Philip's question, how can you say, show us the Father? It's strange because Philip should know better. He should know that Jesus is speaking about the Father and the relationship and, and the truth, the eternal purpose. He, he should know that. So he pushes back. Right? In, in essence, it's a rebuke. Really? Philip should know better. How can you say this? Now, for me to say, how can you say it, if we're only reading this context, it's like, wow, well, Jesus, you taught Philip, or you told Philip that Philip should know. Maybe we could take Philip's side. How can we know? How, how do we know? Well, I'm taking Jesus' side, where Jesus says, how can you say this, Philip? Don't you? For him to have rehearsed this over and over, and then for Philip to say this means that Philip didn't believe what Jesus told him early, earlier. He just didn't believe it. He didn't trust what Jesus' words were. So, if you're going to stand here, Philip, and be in Bible class, and you're not going to pay attention, you're not going to listen, then I get to question you. What do you mean? Right? How can you say that? If we don't have that interaction, it doesn't get down to the heart of what is the matter here. So it's a strange question, and he's able to push back on Philip. 
Point B, obviously Philip was not listening in Bible class. That is the case. Now, is, is it a crime not to listen in Bible class? No, it's not. But guess what we have here? We have Philip's inability to listen, right? So the illustration by the Spirit of Truth shows the disciples' inattention, yeah, because they weren't paying attention to the teaching, but it emphasizes our attention. For us to get this in the Word of God means that God is telling us something, right? We are supposed to stand on the knowledge that Philip and the disciples and all the rest of them didn't have. And we're not to repeat the same mistakes. Otherwise, we wouldn't have this illustration by the Spirit showing the weakness of the disciples. Now, it's going to be weakness on our part, too. Don't get it. I'm not saying that we can't have weakness or we can't flip-flop back and forth. Well, I believe it. Oh, I really don't. But let me go back to what I always believe, and that's what I trust. Well, somebody says something else. Oh, I don't know about that. I trust this. Listen, the teaching is here. We've been going over the teaching. This is what Jesus is telling us. Philip was not listening or he was not believing. This is pointed out to us. And not just this verse, but the next few verses. Don't you believe? Believe me when I tell you this. Trust me when I tell you this. For the record, you now know this. From now on, this is what right? I'm going to tell you. It's this, and from now on, this is what I'm telling you. Mark this in your memory. You may not fully understand. This is the benefit we have to give to them. They did not have Pentecost. We are way past Pentecost. They didn't have Pentecost yet. So Jesus said as much later, down in verse 24, Right, uh, 14 here. 24 and 25, he says, uh, all the, 25, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. So this conversation will, again, that, that, this is to say, yeah, I can understand how you might not understand all that I have said to you because the reality of it hasn't happened yet. So we got to give the disciples some, some kind of pass here, I think. But notice there's a weakness that is being lifted up here in the disciples because they weren't paying attention. They weren't trusting in the words of Jesus. They didn't see the Father's eternal plan as a result of not listening, not paying attention, not putting trust in the words of Jesus. Point C. The emphasis is not who is right or wrong. And this is this happens, right? This is where people get this whole thought of, I'm right. And I have to show you that I'm right because I've learned something and I'm grown and I've known, right? <laughs> so it's not about who's right or wrong or who's been right or who's been wrong or this is what I've always said or this is what I've always been thinking about. Being right or wrong is not the point. This is not political. Get to the truth. Those, those four words. 
If you're right or wrong along the way, it doesn't matter once you get to the truth. It's like I'm in the dark and I'm stumbling around. Yeah, did you did you hit your foot on that uh, corner of the bedpost? Yes, I did. Yeah, but that's not the point. Did I get to the truth? Did the lights come on? Did I get to the light switch? And I see what's going on for real. Yeah, it's not political. Drop that. That's not humility when we fight God and say, well, yeah, well, even after we know it, right? We, when we're learned, we've learned it, we, we, we still don't want to tell others. We're like, yeah, I always knew that. Yeah. That truth, yeah, I've seen it before. Yeah. That's what we've been learning, right? <laughs> All of a sudden now you've integrated it into everything and now it's a part of what you've always known. That's not true. Not true. It's not allowing God to teach you because uh, that arrogance continues, right? Be grateful for what God has given you. Be grateful for the truth. I don't see the disciples coming back at Jesus in any way. They're listening. They're taking it in. That's what they needed to do. When Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit reminded them of what Jesus had spoken to them. The point, get to the truth. It will cost you. What will it cost you? Humility or exposing your soul. That's what it's going to cost you. And many people don't want to let on that they are ignorant or, or that they should have known, but they didn't. By this time, they should have known, but they still don't know. And, and forget about all that. Get the truth. When it comes to salvation, if you miss salvation because of your pride and because of your arrogance and you never submitted yourself to Christ to say, the matter of my soul's salvation is on your shoulders now. I am no longer responsible. You are Christ. I am giving you the responsibility for the salvation of my soul. Because of our arrogance, we can miss that. How to receive a gift. Nobody can give us anything. We know everything. We don't know everything. So it's the exposing of your soul. And when we come here, that's what we do. The questions that are asked, right? the things that are, they poke at our soul. They poke at sometimes ignorance in our soul. And instead of us fighting, yeah, yeah, I already knew that. I know that. And we've seen it many times. Let's just allow the truth to just wash over us like the waves crashing on the seashore. Allow it to happen. Appreciate that it happens. Forget about who's right or wrong, as we said. Point D, we're moving forward. Those trapped in religion will fight to not show their soul. <laughs> That's what they will, they will hide. That's why Jesus says, outside... Uh, you're whitewashed. I mean, people look at you like, wow, look at that. Oh, it's got a nice coat of paint on it. It's beautiful. But he said, inside, you're like dead men. You stink like dead men's bones. Remember, God sees that. It's not about those other people you're trying to impress. It's about God who sees the soul. But those trapped in religion, they'll fight not to show their soul. They won't have humility. But we must remember that Philip and the other disciples did get this right. 
and became the foundation of the church. So whatever happened to them, and we might say, oh, we we think Philip and all those guys, they were dumb. Look at how they missed it. Look at what they saw. Right? But they had theology. They knew what the Bible said. And they understood the Messiah. And they saw that Jesus was doing all these works. They trusted in him, that he was the Messiah. And Jesus understood that. And it was enough for them to be saved. So it takes, point E, it takes humility to believe the truth. It does. Even if you don't admit it to anybody else, you better admit it to God. You better let God tell you the truth. Even if it's not what you think. And we're back to John 14, 1 again. You believe in God, believe also in me. Listen, that's when the rubber hits the road. It's, you think you have humility when you're believing things you've already believed or seem reasonable to you. As long as it seems reasonable to your view of the theology, theological uh, landscape, then, oh, everything's fine. As soon as God throws something in there that's different or progressive or God is revealing more truth, right? Or the mystery, which is not revealed at all, <laughs> it requires tremendous humility for us to believe it. That's if we're stuck in religion. And I'd say not only stuck, but trapped. Some people feel, you know, they've given all of their belief, their trust to the religious system and not to God. So it takes humility to believe the truth, even if it's not what you think. If it's not what you think, what's in your heart, then there's a challenge. I would say believe God, believe his word, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. We will continue next time with verse 10, where he continues to stress to the disciples that his words are truth. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father. <clears throat> We're so pleased to be able to look at these words in the freedom of our homes and in our hearts. And we pray that as we continue our focus and our walk, that you will continue to, to guide our our path. Show us more truth. Continue to challenge us with the truths that we hold that are not according to your word. And we thank you for this group that we have, that we can talk about such issues, reason together, and learn uh, as you have reasoned with us in the scriptures. We thank you for this year that has been phenomenal in, in terms of uh, our understanding and knowledge of the truth gaining more and more understanding of what your plan is. And we pray for the next year that we will continue to learn as we grow and, and focus our attention on this fantastic age and what you have done in this new creation. We pray that we will continue to understand, unfold, and reveal these things to us so that they become part of our identity and who we are in Christ. So we thank you and, th and we thank you that you brought us this far. We pray that you will bring us into the new year with this determination 
to walk even as he walked, to walk worthy of the calling that we have received. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.